name is Adam. I'm the pastor. It's good to see all of you peeps in the house. Everybody all right? Good deal. Hey, why don't you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That'll be where our text is coming from this morning. Want to read that to start things off here? This is the text for the morning. Starting in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Why don't we pray? Father, we just love You this morning. Holy Spirit, thanks for being in the house. Uh, Now, Father, we ask that You would illuminate hearts and minds, that um, that You would cause us to be awake on the inside, not just awake in our bodies, but God, You'd cause us to be awake on the inside. And Father, I ask that you would deliver us from um, a nostalgic reading of the scripture this morning. God, I ask that you would deliver us from familiarity that that actually blocks our minds to your word and revelation. And Father, would you baptize us in the reality that you have something for us even here this morning. Amen. 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 Well, that's the text for the morning. And the reason it's the text for the morning is because uh, this is the third week of Advent, and the third week of Advent is the week of joy. Um, The Christmas message and the Advent message is principally a message of joy. And when you hear it for what it really is, when your eyes are open to what it really is, and when your ears can be open to what it really is, uh, joy comes alongside. Uh, There'll be joy that'll come on the inside. When you begin to see the grace of God in all of its manifold ways that it's displayed, joy begins to take root in your life. And it's the sort of joy that sort of like reorients every other thing. When you begin to see the gospel message, even the gospel narrative for what it really is, joy begins to take root. And it's the sort of joy that reorients everything. The truth is when you begin to catch a glimpse of the kind of goodness that God has displayed for us in the Gospels, one of the things that happens is you'll stop caring about a lot of the things you used to care about and you take on new cares. Uh, A lot of the anxieties that you used to live with, they start to go away. A lot of the things that you held as most important begin to be reshuffled in the deck and pretty soon your whole life looks a little bit different because it's coming from a place of joy rather than a place of anxiety and fear, and I'll show you a little bit of that here in just a moment. Uh, the good news this morning, at least in the Advent message, is that Jesus Christ has come. It's a historical fact. Jesus Christ was a man. He was God born as a man. It is a historical fact. But the good news gets better. It's not just that He has come. It is that He is here. And then the news gets even better, and it is this. Mysteriously, He will come again. So the Advent message is He has come, He is here, and He will come again. And it should be great joy. It it releases great joy. Uh, Now, the truth is, though, some of us hear this message 
that God has come, that He will come again, and it doesn't release great joy into us. In fact, it releases the exact opposite. It releases sheer terror. When we think about the fact that God has come and that He is going to come again, uh, joy is not the first emotion that bubbles up from the spring of our life. The first emotion could be sheer terror. And if it's sheer terror, there's a lot of good reasons why it might be sheer terror. Uh, It could be sheer terror because you know what you did last Tuesday. And so the thought of God coming back again in His physical person may not bring you great joy. After all, everyone in here knows what we've done. We live with that sense. Uh, and And if you experience sheer terror, it may not just be sheer terror because you know what you've done, you know what you think about certain people, and you know sort of the whole position of your own heart at times. But it can also be sheer terror not just because of what we've done, but because it's sort of freaky when heaven breaks in. I don't know if you've noticed that. But when God moves into the earth, it's always unnerving. And there's a reason it's unnerving. The reason There's a lot of reasons it's unnerving, but we'll talk about a couple. One of the reasons it's unnerving is because we have grown quite accustomed to a dualistic worldview that assumes that heaven and earth are totally separated. And so we're on the earth, we walk around, I've got a cat, I've got a dog, I've got some kids, I drive my car, put some gas in, I go to work, go to sleep, I get up, I eat, I do it again. And we assume that's what life is, and the truth is, that's not what life is at all. The truth is, heaven and earth are not separated, they're very close together, and there's a very thin veil that separates heaven and earth. Heaven is actually just another dimension, it's not another place, it's another dimension. And this veil that separates heaven and earth is quite thin, and it's actually permeable. And what that means is is that oftentimes heaven comes in, and sometimes the earth goes out. And in this exchange, people, people fruit out. People fruit out. You see it in the Gospel text. If you read Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, if you read Luke chapter 1, 2 and a half, one of the things that you see is that when Jesus Christ was born a baby and took up residence on the planet Earth, that heaven began to break into the Earth. And even though it's a message of great joy, everyone is freaking out. Herod's afraid. Mary is troubled. Joseph is afraid. The wise men are freaked out. Not only that, but the shepherds. Did you notice that? The glory of God shines around them and they're terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm actually bringing you good news. So heaven comes with joy and everyone's afraid. I think that's so interesting. Why? Because we're so unaccustomed to heavenly realms. We live with a dualistic worldview. It surprises us when heaven shows up. The truth is heaven's here all the time. And then when it breaks in in manifest ways, it always freaks us out. Not only that, but when God begins to move in a church or a region, when the least bit of revival begins to drop in a room, you'll always have people who are freaked out. Uh, In fact, I I can't tell you how many times this has happened in my pastoral career. I'll begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, and people will say, oh, it freaks me out when you talk about the Holy Spirit. It's so scary. And I'm like, really? The third person of the Trinity scares you? Yeah, I'm totally freaked out. You'd be surprised. Go talk about the Holy Spirit. People become uncomfortable. Why? Because we've grown accustomed to living in a world where we're here and God is somewhere. He's like He's out there. Like I don't have to worry about it now. I'll worry about that when, when I die. The hectic part is the God you're going to meet later is the same one who showed up during worship today. Like if you're not comfortable with Him here, it's going to be worse later. 
Encouraging words from Pastor Adam. But we're uncomfortable with heavenly realms. Why? Because it's so foreign to us. And so part of the transition of life, one of the principal transitions that you must make in your life is out of fear and into joy. Away from being terrified and and into being able to be the kind of person who can receive the joy that God is offering. Does this make sense? So life is essentially a journey out of fear and into joy, from unknowing into knowing, from foreign to naturalization. Now I want to talk about joy this morning. I want to talk about it in three ways, and I want to talk about three reasons why great joy is presented to us this morning. And I want to, I want to show this to you out of the biblical text. Uh, the first reason we have for great joy is this, is that God is keeping His promise. Um, I need you, when you look at this scripture and you read it, when I read it to you, I need you to hear this and I need you to see this with biblical eyes and ears. What does that mean? I'm going to read this to you again, and I want you to listen to this with biblical ears. Okay? What I mean is this. This text is singing a melody, as it were. This text is singing a melody, and when I read it to you, I want you to hear the melody, but I want you to realize that there is a harmony part around it. Does that make sense? I want to read this to you again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. Anybody in here able to hear the harmony? There are certain phrases and there are certain words in this particular passage that are actually singing a harmony over the melody that the gospel writer has written in. What do I mean by that? There are phrases here. How many of you realize that it's a little bit odd that God shows up and makes His birth announcement to shepherds? How many of you realize that His God prerogative says that He doesn't have to do that if He doesn't want to? Like, God can make His birth announcement to anyone He wants, right? So if He's making His birth announcement, to, a birth announcement to shepherds first, then one of the things that He's saying is that I want shepherds to know it first. And the fact that He's showing it to shepherds is actually a harmony to the melody He's singing. Does this make sense? Some of you are like, what the heck is the pastor talking about? So God is, God is releasing His birth announcement to shepherds, and He's doing it on purpose. How many of you all have ever read about shepherds in the Bible? Who can tell me a shepherd in the Bible? Who's a shepherd? David. Oh my gosh. That's another part of the, of the harmony. Are you hearing it? So God comes with his birth announcement. He's singing the melody of my son is coming. And the harmony is shepherds and David. What's the point? The point here is it's good news and it's joy for us this morning because God is keeping his promise. The great shepherd of Israel, David, God made David a promise. I want you to put it up. It comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 13. This is a promise that God made to his shepherd, David. He said, 
When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. Translation, when you're dead. I will raise you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who can hear the harmony in that? What's the harmony? It's resurrection. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who can hear the harmony? This is a prophetic promise of Messiah who will come. What's the point? God has made a promise to David. And then in our passage this morning, when he makes his birth announcement, he could go to anyone in the world. He chooses to go to shepherds. Why? Because he's saying, I am, I am telling you right now, this is a part of the story that I started a long time ago. And this is the fulfillment of a promise that I made to my servant, David. Now, what's the point of all this? Is, this, is the point of all this just like Bible trivia that we would be able to go on Jeopardy and do pretty well? And, you know, is Pastor Adam just getting you ready to do battle with Ken Jennings? The answer is no. It even says so in my notes right here. It says no. I have an exclamation point around it and I circled it. The significance isn't biblical trivia. The significance is this. The significance is that God is faithful. And He always keeps His promise. He always keeps His promise. He always keeps His promise. He will always, always, always keep His promise. And here's the other good news. He will not only just keep His promise to His servant David, but He will keep His promise to you. God's promised everyone in this room things. He, will, he may delay, but He will not be late. He will fulfill His promise because He is faithful. He cannot help it. He has to. It's in His nature. He can't help Himself. If He makes a promise, He will keep it. And He will keep it even to really weak people. Weak people like David. David was God's favorite. And at the same time, David was weak. How many of you all realize David was a murderer? David was a murderer. His solution for dealing with problems was kill them. See, we read the Scripture with rose-colored glasses and we reinterpret everything through stained glass and we read David's life and we're, and we're like, oh, look at that, 200 Philistine foreskins. Isn't that hysterical? Ha, ha. You know, That's 200 dead dudes. That's how David deals with issues. I kill people. Not only that, when I want a woman, I take her. He's an adulterer. David takes women who are not his wife and when he wants to get them, he kills the man. He kills him. He says, comes up with a scheming plan. David's a liar. David's a total liar. What's the point of all this? The point is this. David is a weak person and God is so faithful that he will keep his promises even to really weak people. That's good news. I don't know about you. I'm a weak person. Thankfully, I've never killed anyone. Praise the Lord. Thankfully, I've been faithful to my wife. Praise the Lord. But I'm a really weak person and God's made me promises. And this morning, the good news, the reason for joy that's available to us this morning, it's very simple. God is faithful. This passage is not just a melody sung by the Creator. There's actually harmony in there. God is always singing harmony. He can't help it. He's Father, He's Son, He's Spirit. There is a harmony chord note that is sung in the Trinity, and God is faithful. The second reason we have for joy this morning is 
is this, that the Gospels, and particularly the birth narrative, is a comedy. It's actually a comedy. Um, read a book this year. It's one of my favorite books I read all year long. It's by a man named Frederick Beckner. And it's a book called The Gospels as Comedy, Tragedy, and Fairy Tale. And one of the things we don't often realize is that the gospel narratives themselves are full of comedy and irony. It's kind of like your favorite episode of Seinfeld. Anybody still watch Seinfeld? Yeah, there's nothing quite like a Seinfeld rerun. You know, you know the one where George accidentally kills his fiance. That one's unbelievable to me. I've seen it a hundred times. It's hysterical. Anybody else in here watch Parks and Recreation? That's that's my that's like my favorite show now. Anybody y'all like that show? Who's your favorite character? Ron Swanson. Glad you said so, Glenn. Got a little list of Ron Swanson quotes here this morning. Six in particular. We have reason for joy this morning because Parks and Recreation is hysterical. Ron Swanson is the funniest man on TV. And the Gospels are a comedy. Keep that in mind. Uh, Number one, Ron Swanson. I'm surrounded by a lot of women in this department, and that includes the men. (laughs) Number two, shorts over six inches are capri pants. Shorts under six inches are European. (laughs) Number three, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but every single contractor in the world is a miserable, incompetent thief. (laughs) Number four. Leslie, you need to understand that we are headed to the most special place on earth. When I'm done eating a meal at at Mulligan's, for weeks afterwards, there are flecks of meat in my mustache, and I refuse to clean it because every now and then, a piece of meat will fall into my mouth. Number five, this is my personal favorite. The less I know about other people's affairs, the happier I am. I'm not interested in caring about people. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. And then number six. Boys, under my tutelage, you will grow from boys to men. From men into gladiators. And from gladiators into Swansons. (laughs) But the gospel narrative, especially the birth narrative, is a comedy. For instance, 16-year-old virgins who are pregnant. The God of all glory, born as a baby. 17-year-old carpenter who becomes the stepfather to God and for a little while his boss. The fact that wise men were probably Eastern occultists and they get to see Jesus while the biblical scholars are nine miles away at home. I love that one. People in the occult read astrological signs came to see Jesus. Bible scholars stayed home. That's hilarious. Only in the Bible. 
Everyone's always like, oh, the occult, man, the occult's out to get. You know what? The occult might be going straight toward Jesus one day. He might change the heavens just to get their attention. Sometimes people in the occult are more vulnerable to the spirit than the Bible scholars are. Boom. (laughs) Tweet it right now, right now. More comedy. God makes his birth announcements to lowly shepherds. The kings and nobles receive no invitation. The biggest thing in the course of human history was, for a time, completely insignificant, utterly hidden, and overlooked. The most supernatural thing that ever happened looks totally natural. And finally, the God of all glory, born in a barn. Not even a clean barn. It was dirty. There was manure in it. They cut the cord in a manure pile. I think that's hysterical. I will not replay what I did last year. (laughs) I just had a memory. That was awesome. So the second reason for joy this morning is very simple, that the gospel narrative of Jesus' birth is actually a comedy. And here's the deal. Aside from the laughter this morning, the point is not just the laughter. The point is this, that God is utterly turning the world upside down. He's utterly turning the world upside down. And people who are of power and people who are of position will find themselves out. People who are lowly, people who are outcast, and people who are nitwits will find themselves in. They'll get the leading roles. Brad and Angelina, no reason to come back. I've already hired another guy. He's a complete idiot. Because in the Gospels, murderers and fishermen become apostles. In the Gospels, prostitutes become Jesus' best friend. Let that sink on you for a while. One of Jesus' two best friends was a prostitute. Paul, before he became Paul, was Saul. He murdered Christians, and when he did it, he thought he was doing God a favor. He becomes the greatest of the apostles. He's completely turning the world upside down. It's reason for joy. One of the things it tells me is that there's hope for me and you. There's hope for me and you. Lepers are cleansed. The dead are raised. It's good news and it's laughter everywhere. It's actually a reason to shout. And then number three this morning, reason for joy. The third reason for joy is this. Joy is a person. Can we put the Luke passage up again, please? Thanks, Emily. Look at verse 10. Joy is a person. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. What's the good news? What's the joy? Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. See, joy is a person. Joy is God leaving heaven and coming to earth. And the picture here, the idea here, is that God has left heaven and he has come to the earth and he hasn't just come to one particular spot he's come to the whole earth he's not come for one people he's come for all the people 
He's not come for people who are just high and mighty. He's come for the lowly and the nitwits. God has come for everyone. And one of the things that tells us is this, that it's entirely possible to have joy because joy is a person who has walked the greatest chasm in all of history to be here. Joy is entirely possible. Not only that, not only that, but joy is not a mysterious substance like floating up here in the ether somewhere. And when the stars align and when I get off work early on Friday and I get just three or four sheets to the wind, then I get into it. No, that's not what joy is. Joy is a person. Joy is a person. And the implications of joy as a person means this. Joy is relational. Joy is not a possession that you can have. It is a friendship to be tended. Joy is a person. You can't have it as a possession. You must tend to it as a friendship. By the way, if you go for joy, you never get joy. You know that? This is one of the things I want everybody in the church to get because it's the most important thing I have to say all morning. If you go for joy, you'll never get joy. You know what you'll get? You'll get an addiction, you'll get credit card debt, and you'll get a divorce. I'll just let that sink in for you. I'll do that again. If you go for joy, you'll never get joy. You'll get an addiction, you'll get credit card debt, you'll get a divorce translation on that is you'll become a great American. You get joy by developing friendship with Jesus. See, joy is in the friendship. Joy is in the discovery. How many of you all have a best friend? Everybody has a best friend, right? At least one. And by the way, your best friend like the dude you go out and get hammered with once or twice a month. That ain't your best friend, bro. I hate to break it to you. You think it's your best friend. It's really not. Like that's the first guy who needs to go. Mm-hmm. It's not your best friend. Your best friend is the person who knows you inside out and who's vulnerable with you and you're vulnerable with them. And not just because you're hammered, man. Where's my blood lie? That's one of the cool things about friendship, especially best friends. It's awesome how when you have a best friend, even if the things on the surface are argumentative, combative, challenging, hectic, or distant, the thing that's beneath the surface is always joy. I've got a couple best friends, and when I think about them, I always get happy. Why? It's my best friend. I don't even have to act around my best friend. I don't even have to act like a good person. I don't even have to act like a pastor with my best friend. It's awesome. Sometimes I even cuss with my best friend, and it's awesome. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, the pastor cussed? Yeah, come over. You do too. 
let's just get honest for a minute. You come in the house, you drop the groceries, you ain't saying peaches. Not a day in your life. Anyway. It's the great thing about friendship. I don't have to pretend. So there's a source of joy that sits under, underneath it all. And it has to do with knowing and being known. And here's the really great thing. Somehow, mysteriously, and I don't understand this. I've read the Bible like nine times and I still don't understand it. Somehow, mysteriously, Jesus Christ is the one guy in all of history who can be best friends with everybody on the planet at the same time in all of history. And if you're best friends with Jesus, you'll always have joy. It's in the discovery. Um, The longer you're friends with Jesus, the more you realize you really never knew anything about Jesus. Well, you know, he's just, he's God's son and and he was really good. And when he was 12, he went to the temple and and he was like teaching the guys. And it was like his mom freaked out. and, And then one day, like guys came to him and he like multiplied bread and it was really cool. And, and the, and the disciples were idiots. And, and then you have this whole huge stack of like Bible knowledge and you could like totally kill Ken Jennings on Jeopardy with it. And at the end of the day, you become friends with Jesus for like a month and a half and you realize, well, I didn't know anything about him. You realize I've read the Bible my entire life. It's entirely possible to read the Bible your whole life and not know Jesus. Like, and then all of a sudden you're friends with him and the discovery of who he is will release joy in your life. You can come to church a million times and never be friends with Jesus. They can play awesome worship and we can go nutty and you cannot be friends with Jesus. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. It's crazy. And the cool part about this is, is once you begin friendship with Jesus, it has no bottom. Like there's no end to it. Like there's, there's only more discovery. The cool, the cool thing is, is that friendship with Jesus isn't locked behind scholarships. You don't need to be a PhD to be friendship with Jesus. You could be best friends with Jesus. In fact, lots of nitwits are better friends with Jesus than the PhDs. I know a guy who has the whole New Testament memorized. He's a jerk. He knows tons of stuff about Jesus. He's a jerk. He never became a friend with Jesus. Oh, consequently, that guy has no joy either. Man, he's stacked with facts. I sometimes call him. One of the things I've decided is, so long as some people want to go for facts, I'll let them go for facts. I'm going to go with friendship, and then when I need them, I'll just call them. And there's a fountain of joy in it. Like, real joy. Amen? (laughs) Oh, man. Some of you are like, man, I ain't ever been in the vineyard before. This is different. You don't really even know what you got into. Like, it's actually way more different than this. <clears throat> I'm going to write a book one day. It's called Only at the Vineyard. It'll be rated 
at least PG-13 and a half. It's probably going to be rated R. Good news. God loves weak people. Why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you. Weirdest landing ever. Transition. Transition.